Super Talk Mississippi media production. If you're feeling anxious about your investments with all the economic volatility and chaos in Washington, tune in to Super Talk Jackson on Wednesdays from 9 to 10 a.m. and Sundays from 8.30 to 9.30 a.m. for Element Wealth Radio with Jeremy Nelson. Learn more at myelementwealth.com. It's time for True American Heroes. For the record, with Jack Rutland. Another exclusive on Super Talk Mississippi 102.1 FM. Many of our heroes have taken their stories with them to the grave. But this show is about the stories and personal experiences of these veterans. Welcome. It's an honor to have with me today a veteran of uh, post-war, uh, World War II, Mr. Henry Carlisle, uh, who did some very, very interesting things uh, in the war. Mr. Henry, it's good to have you with us. Thank you. Well, I, I think it's interesting that this is, this is absolutely a hometown boy. He grew up in the Fair River community, uh, had a family of five brothers and four sisters, and was raised on a farm. Right. Cows, chickens, critters. We raised everything we ate. We didn't have we didn't have anything that you didn't go to Walmart to the grocery store. No, we didn't go to Walmart. As most families did back then. We had never heard of Walmart. <laughs> that was a little before Walmart. So we're talking about uh back you were actually born in nineteen twenty eight. Twenty eight. So your your service to your country came after the war had actually ended. Uh you were about to get drafted, I think you said, but you decided right. to to uh, do something else. Right. They were still drafting people after the war. Whenever you got 18, you received a notice from the Selective Service to come and, you know, get interviewed to go into the Army. So you decided you didn't want to go into the Army. Right. So I had worked a few places around town, but I wasn't really never, you know, satisfied, and we wasn't making very much. So three of us got together, and we decided to join Air Force. It was Cecil Dow. I think he was from out around Lloyd Star. Mm-hmm. And Vernon Ray Smith, he was somewhere out in that way. So we all three got together and signed up and joined Air Force. And that was shortly after the Army Air Corps split the Army yeah. and the Air Force side. And they, they actually had a separate branch of service called the United States Air Force. And that's what you guys enlisted in. Right. Okay, so you enlisted. Where did you go for basic training? Okay, we left here on a trailways bus, <laughs> went to Hattiesburg uh, for some kind of orientation, and then we got on a train and went to New Orleans and stayed there a short while, got on another train and went to Houston, Texas. Mm-hmm. From there, we went north to Wichita Falls, Texas, and that was a cold place. <laughs> I don't think anything was between there and the North Pole. The, the wind blows all the time. <laughs> wind blew all the time. Okay, you were assigned. There you received an assignment, and you were sent no, to? No, that's where I took my basic training. Your basic was there at Wichita right. Falls. Okay. I think it was about 13 weeks. that. Um, okay. We had. Okay. So then we didn't know, you know, where we'd go or what we was going to do anything, but I got transferred to Chanute Air Force Base in Illinois to mm-hmm. – um, mm-hmm trained to be a flight mechanic on an airplane what type of aircraft were they training you on modified b-17 they took all the machine guns out and installed all kind of 
radar equipment and whatever else they needed to fly the planes by remote control. Amazing. B-17, of course, was a workhorse in World War II, flew all right. those missions in Europe and in the South Pacific. It was, uh, called, it was called the Flying Fortress. It had a, I can't remember how many machine guns it had on it. I think it was about 12. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was a, it was a powerful so, aircraft, four-engine, propeller-driven, turbocharged engines, and right. a crew of 10, uh, and it was a workhorse. But you were assigned to do some modifications and works on the B-17. Well, that was after uh, Chinoon Air Force Base. I stayed up there probably um, six months or a year. Now, were you up there in the winter? Because I understand Chinook gets pretty cold, too. Yes, sir. It was, <laughs> <laughs> it was cold up there. And whenever I got up there, it was at night, and I couldn't see the sun for the next five days. Goodness. And I couldn't ever get my directions. I'd get out of the barracks and go mess all and eat, and sometime I'd get lost coming back to the barracks <laughs> until the sun finally came out, and then I made it good. <laughs> uh, pretty incredible. Okay, so... After we got through with the mechanic school up there, we had to learn how to do all kind of things on them, the engines and also the whole airplane. So we got our orders in going to Eglin Air Force Base, Florida. And, man, I was glad of that because it wasn't about 300 miles from home. Plus it was a lot warmer. Oh, yeah, (laughs) a lot warmer. So I stayed down there a long time, but I was off every weekend, so... I got to come home a lot during the weekends. So what did you? What were you doing at Eglin? We started to training to fly those planes. It was B seventeen without a pilot. Now, did you know at that time what that mission was all about? What no, they were going to, where they we, were going to be no, flying them? They wouldn't tell us anything. We couldn't have a camera. I mean, everything was hush hush. Was top secret. So you were involved in some top secret projects here, and I think there's right. one interesting uh, part of this that before. Or you probably got this involved in it. You actually had some people come to Fair River checking on you. Right. The FBI had to check everybody out that was assigned to that squadron. And uh, I didn't know it at the time, but uh, somebody out there told me afterwards that uh, they were over there checking on me to make sure I was. And they were the FBI. FBI. Right. Interesting. Because you had to have top secret clearance because of the job you were doing right but still at this point you probably didn't know what you were fixing to get into no we didn't know anything okay well take the next step after you leave Eglin, where do you go to uh san francisco we stayed there a while and got on aircraft care and went to anawitak atoll in the marshall islands now this is shortly after the war. This is about nineteen. Was this forty six at that time, or no, was it still about 47? 40, 49. Oh, 49, Excuse me. Okay, and uh, and those who are history buffs recognize those names, but a lot of people may not recognize those two places you just mentioned, right? Because there's something going to take place there. Mm-hmm. And what was that? That was uh, testing atomic bomb explosions just to see for sure how much they could do and how how destructive they were because after the ones on japan i mean it's still a lot more that they didn't know then so um, that's what we were going over there for and finally when we got there we talked well i went over there on an aircraft carrier from san francisco mm-hmm. we had a i think 10 airplanes and it was big so we still didn't know exactly what we was going to do until we got over there to the island and then they let us know well, I'm noticing. I, I got to mention your hat. 
Uh, it's a NAAV, and underneath it, it has Atomic Veteran. Right. Now, tell me about the hat, because I know we're about to get into this part of your service. That, well, uh, it's just an organization they've got for Atomic Veterans, and um, that's the National Association of Atomic Veterans. So it's so, any, anybody that was involved in the testing and the development of the nuclear program for the United right, States? Right. I, I got a card, you know, with my information and everything on it that I was in atomic bomb explosions. All right. Now, we got a, we, we, we got a couple of minutes here before the break, but I want to get started on this. You were actually involved. Your role was the B-17, getting it where it would fly by itself. Right. And you guys would... You know, that was had to be a pretty extensive thing because that was way before drones. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, y'all were doing something on the cutting edge of technology, and here you are trying to get a big B-17 to fly by, take it off, fly mm-hmm. it where you wanted it to, and and then it was going to be a part of an atomic explosion. Right. And the test was there were lots of tons of instruments, I'm sure, inside the plane. Right. And you guys did all of that. You got the plane ready. Right. And while we was training down at Eglin Air Force Base, we, we had a pilot and a co-pilot and a flight mechanic. Every day that they would train, we'd take it out there on a runway and line it up, you know, to, take to get it to going straight so it would take off. So we, let, we could watch all the instruments they'd move. And one time we had four throttles. Mm-hmm. and they four had, engines. They had them latched to a, oh, I can't remember the name of some kind of bracket. But anyway, when they would uh, move it, they would all four go up, you know, at That's the same right. time. That's take right. Off. Push the throttles forward. So one one time we was taking off, and we didn't seem to be gaining much speed. And it looks like the end of the runway was getting closer and closer. And I had them look down, and two of the throttles. Now, you were on the plane. Yeah, two you of the throttles. You were inside the plane. Okay. Two of the throttles came loose. And we didn't have but two engines running. Oh, my. So I just reached down and put them wide open so we could get off the runway. <laughs> so you were actually doing some of the pre- preparation. You actually were flying some of the flights with this B-17 crew. Right. Now, I'm sure they were there in case something went wrong, they would take over. Is that correct? Right. That's what we did, you know, in case something would go yeah. wrong with yeah. the yeah. But now, you weren't flying the plane. You were just one of the crew. One of the mechanic or technicians, or what right. were you actually doing? Well, flight mechanic. That's and, uh, what you were. Okay. Yeah, I was right between the two pilots. That's right. this is a totally different mission for a B seventeen right. than I've ever heard about. So this is pretty incredible. Um, okay, so you're getting the B seventeen ready to fly into or above when a, a nuclear explosion was right. detonated. That's right. Wow, this is very interesting. Mr. Henry, we're going to take a short break, and we're going to come back for the second half of our program. Welcome back. I am extremely honored to have with me Mr. Henry Carlisle, who uh, served in the United States Air Force immediately after World War II, but was very, very much involved in the uh, development of the nuclear arsenal that our country was developing right there at the end of the war, hopefully to never use again, and we haven't since World War II. But there was still a lot to be learned because the, they were so anxious to end the war, Mr. Henry. They, you know, they, they didn't have a did some testing, but not enough to really know what the effect of a of a nuclear blast was. So that's what you and your squadron and, and the people that were out there at Marshall Islands were doing post war, nineteen forty nine, roughly, to uh, learn what you could. 
And I think it's just so interesting that you were taking B-17s, and it was several of them. It wasn't just one or two. It was probably a dozen right. that you were preparing to fly without a crew and loaded down with instruments so that you guys could see the effect of a nuclear blast on aircraft above the blast. That's absolutely incredible. The first test was when? Do you remember much about it? I guess you guys were all tensed up. Yeah, it was sometime in 1951. And 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 this this which one was that? Do you remember which? Uh, yeah, that was that one. Right okay, so it was the one that was at the. I can't pronounce the name, but it's the atoll there off the Marshall Islands. Anawetok. Anawetok. That's that's okay. it. Okay. So um, you guys got all your B-17s prepared. The date for the drop of the bomb is approaching, and your squadron was responsible for getting the B-17s up in the air okay. and all the equipment working properly. I think you said they flew at different altitudes. Right. Uh, knowing that the ones lower, closer to the blast, would not survive, but you were still getting readings from the equipment. Right, yeah. A couple of them came back. The tires were all burned up, and, of course, they crashed when they landed. And then we had one jet airplane that uh, participated in it. And then another one, when they started taking off, we was right by a telephone pole or light pole. We didn't have no telephones. (laughs) <laughs> they wouldn't even let us think about a telephone or a camera. <laughs> That's right. Top but secret. one of the jet airplanes hit the ground right where we were sitting after we had moved down oh about my goodness. four or five hundred. Where you'd been sitting. We missed Was that, that one of the B-17s? No, that was a P-38, I uh-huh. think. Yeah. Not yeah. a P-38. It was one of the new uh, earliest jet planes. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, so it's 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 time for this test, and you guys get your B-17s in the air, and they're flying somewhere above where the actual detonation will take right. place. And are you guys monitoring the equipment? Is that what you did? Well, no, I didn't, but they had somebody doing that, and, uh, of course, we had to have special goggles to uh, mm-hmm. look at it. How far away were you from the actual detonation? I think it was seven miles. That's close enough. So when it happened, we saw, you know, the big blast of the fire and everything going up, and uh, that's what we saw first. And then we heard the sound and the heat. You felt the heat? Felt the heat. My goodness. That's a long ways off, and to feel the heat. And I'm sure, what was, was it, was it really loud, even though you oh, were that far yeah, away? Yeah, the, the explosion was loud. It sounded like we was a lot closer than what we were. Of course, it wasn't anything but water between us and it. Right. Okay, so... Your, I'm assuming your aircraft performed what they were supposed to do. You got the information. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was got, had to be extremely useful. Now, this wasn't the only one you were involved in. You actually were involved in other detonations as well. Well, it was three of them. Three together, that okay. We did, yeah. and, and you were there for all three of three those. Of them. Mm-hmm. You were telling me a little bit about, were the others very similar? Were they the same kinds of uh, nuclear weapons? or You were doing the same thing, putting B-17s in the air? and Yeah, but um, the bombs were different. They were, you know. Different types. Trying, testing different types mm-hmm. and see mm-hmm. what each one of them would do. I got you. I got you. That's incredible. It was amazing how the sound and when you could see it, so much fire. There's not many people have seen an actual explosion. It's, That's pretty incredible. There's no way to explain how it looked or how it sounded or anything. I, I've read how high did that actually that that column that plume go? I think it's 
300 feet. That's amazing. That's amazing. And I've seen pictures and video of some of the some of yours that you were actually watching in person. Now, were you able with the goggles? Did they really protect your eyes, or did you have to look away and then look back after the initial flash? No, they they protected your eyes. Okay, so you were able to see the flash right. through the goggles. Amazing. Well, you were also talking. You were there for the total of three. Uh, your squadron was involved in this top secret project uh, as you guys were testing uh, and getting more accurate information about the actual result of these blasts. But you were also telling me about the wind changing directions. You got to tell us that story. Well, on one of the blasts, uh, they, you know, the wind was blowing a certain way, and um, we were. And that not... was a big deal. I mean, you guys made sure the wind was blowing away, right? Because you didn't want fallout, which is radiation. Blowing towards y'all. Right. So um, after one of them, somehow the wind changed direction and blew it right back to where we were. So after then, we had to take about 10 baths to make sure we tried to get all the radiation out of our bodies. But I don't think we did. They said um, half-life of radiation is like 36,000 years. So there's no, no getting rid of it all. And you were telling me that you guys actually had to take a bath. There was boxes of soap. Oh, yeah. We had to wash the airplanes down. Constantly. With tide. Yeah. And then y'all probably bathed in some kind of soap yourself to get as much off as you could ten times, as you Mm -hmm. said. Of course, then we got tested, you know, with a Geiger counter. They had them all around uh, to see how much each person was exposed. Were you in the open when the explosion? Were you like in a foxhole or behind a bunker? Or no, we were over? just on that island. You know, it wasn't anything, but it's a lot of trees there, but um, palm trees and mm-hmm. stuff, coconut mm-hmm. trees. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there was nobody there but the military personnel. Were there any inhabitants of the island? No, no inhabitants. Okay, but just y'all. I'm sure they had civilians, you know, some of the civilians working. Okay, okay. <laughs> wow, this is pretty interesting. So you it, did... It was several islands there in the, the Marshall Islands, and um, one of them was about 10 miles from where we were, so it wasn't nothing but coconut trees over there. So we went over there on the weekend on one of those little uh, landing craft boats that they had, and um, we got a load of coconuts. <laughs> <laughs> Brought them back, and I had never eaten so many coconuts. And so you guys were living there on the island. How, how long were you actually on the island during those tests? How long were you there? Mm, I just can't remember for sure how long was, we was there. It, it, wasn't, was, it wasn't a year, or was it less? Or it, could it, was, it was close to a year. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. You know, it's amazing as we, we've been interviewing veterans and, and people who have contributed to the defense of our country, and here we have a, a gentleman who lives right here in our home, Lincoln County, uh, who was so involved in uh, in these tests, and you know, I would have passed you on the street, Mr. Henry, and never have known what you did and how you contributed to our to the safety of our country. So after the tests were done and you guys had done everything you needed to do, what was what did they actually did you guys do next? Did you come back to the states? Yeah, we came back to the states and um, went back to Eglin Air Force Base, Florida. Of course, we had to cross the international dateline. <laughs> going over there and camp coming back. So <clears throat> going over there, it was like 6 p.m. on Tuesday. And the next minute, it was 6 p.m. on Wednesday. <laughs> so we lo- we lost the date. 
<laughs> of course, then when we came back, we gained it back. All right. Well, now, after you came back, you went to Eglin. What did they have you right. doing at Eglin then? We stayed there for a while. I really don't think we was doing a lot. So <laughs> they wanted to do a bunch of tests out at Point Mugu, California, on a Navy base, and wanted to do something with um, the drones, try and train for air-to-air guided missiles. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting because so, that's an early, early development of the missiles. Right. So we went over there, and um, it was on a Navy base. They they didn't like the Air Force people too good. <laughs> all the officers in the Navy got to sit in chairs up front, and all of us had to sit down on the floor in the back when huh? we would show the movie or anything. So <laughs> I sound like the Navy. <laughs> uh, okay, so you were there for how long? You don't know? Six no, months, a year? I don't remember Not how very long, long I stayed out there. Okay, so after that, what did you end up doing after you were helping the Navy? Well, that's decided to go in and get a discharge. Okay. I, I almost stayed in. I wish I had. But that's all in the past. So That's right. I got my discharge and came on back to Brookhaven. Settled down. Settled down. <laughs> I can't remember if I worked a while, but I went to college and um, got married to Dorothy Carlisle from down the other side of Bochet at Northfield. Awesome. So we moved down there and then... Uh, Raised your family. I got... Yeah, I got... I started work for Halliburton Company in Brookhaven, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and then they shut it down in Brookhaven and transferred us all to Laurel. So we stayed over in, in Laurel about 12 years, and uh, they opened a paper mill up at Monticello. It was mm-hmm. St. Regis then. That's right. So we decided we wanted to come back home, so we moved back to Pogachilla. Went to work for the paper mill. Went to work for the paper mill. Worked over there 23 years. Good for you. Then I retired. <laughs> Good for you. Well, you've had a busy life. Well, we're we're just honored to have you here, Mr. Carlisle. Thank this, you. This is so interesting, and it's actually an aspect of our service to our uh, country uh, that I've never heard a lot about. And because it was top secret, and it probably still is a lot of it, yeah. but you, you were able to share some really insightful things for us. And let me just say thank you, sir, for your service to your country thank in, you. in this way. And no, uh, I appreciate it. Well, we're, we're grateful for what you did and grateful for your role in, uh, in serving our country. And just want to say thank you for coming in. And this concludes our program. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.